1979, the overthrow of the Shah of Iran and the Ayatollah Khomeini coming in is a pretty well-known part of uh, history. But there's something else that happens that year that's a little lesser known. That same year, there was a siege of the Grand Mosque in Mecca. Someone actually comes in with a gang of, some would argue, thugs, and they take over and hold hostage 50,000 Muslims worshiping and going to the prayers on Friday. And so they show up, they pull guns out from underneath their robes, and they take over the Grand Friday Mosque there in Mecca. Muslims, Christians, and, and the, the zombie. zombie apocalypse. Muslims, Christians, and the zombie apocalypse. And the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> okay, so Muslims just finished their uh, the pillar Hajj, which is the the pilgrimage that right. happens once a year. Right. And uh, this this pilgrimage it doesn't happen at the same time every year because it's based on the lunar calendar. Oh, okay. Wait, so they have a certain date that they go, right? And is it a long period of time or just one day? No, it's a it's a five day process. Dang! So all like tons of Muslims from all around the world go to pilgrimage on five days a year, right? And you can go on pilgrimage anytime you want, but if you go during the month of Hajj, that's when you it's the best to go. Is if you can go during the prescribed month of Hajj. That's That's crazy. That's the that's the uh, the time where it's. I guess you could say you'd get the most blessing is if you go on that month. That that actually makes sense to me because uh, you know how like every year you hear stories of people getting trampled? Yeah, actually, I had a good friend uh, when I was living overseas. His grandmother was trampled in the Hajj. And so this year, there's been a lot of controversy because first off, in preparation for the Hajj, there was a collapse of a uh, a crane. An inquiry into how a crane fell through the roof of Islam's largest mosque has been launched as the death okay. rises. That collapsed part of the roof of the mosque and killed um, over 100 people. What, Did you? What, it was on 9-11, actually. What, what was the crane doing? Like, was it rebuilding something or renovating something? They're constantly having to invest millions upon millions, uh, probably upwards of billions of dollars, in order to expand... Uh, the mosque and the space within Mecca to hold the mosque because the Hajj is growing and growing every year. If you had gone on Hajj, you know, maybe 50 years ago, you would have been talking about thousands of people. Now you're talking about millions. It's that, that it's, it's grown that much. I don't know the exact numbers of how many go, but it's significant. So this crane is on site. It collapses on September 11th, 2015. Right. A, a lot of folks were making a big deal about that, about 9-11. It happens, and what does this mean? And, and Yeah, what does that mean? It means that they were doing work on 9-11, and a, a piece of equipment failed. That's pretty mm. much it. I, I can <laughs> see In like, my mind, but you, you know. Yeah, I, I'm thinking conspiracy theorists are having a heyday. They're just like, or, you know, like karma, thinking of, you know, oh, this is karma. But No, I think some people were making that argument. Wow. That's unfortunate. But That's crazy. It reminds me of... Uh, I remember uh, Dr. Larson writing an article after bin Laden was killed, and the title of the article was not gloating in the defeat of your enemies or the death of your enemies. Oh, I remember that. And it caused a lot of controversy because people wanted to gloat. And I think what he was reminding us of is that death is a... It's a serious thing. It's not something to be uh, trivialized, uh, gloated in. I mean, these people died. Um, 
you know, they went there for their prayers and they died. So that's sort of the beginning um, of what goes on this year for the controversy surrounding Hodge. But something else has happened here recently that's far more controversial. Wait, more? Yeah. Okay. Because there was uh, a trampling, a stampede. One of the holiest days in the Muslim calendar was this year one of the deadliest. The bodies of hundreds of pilgrims dressed in simple white garments strewn across a road leading to Islam's most important city. More than 200 ambulances were sent to the scene of this disaster, a disaster caused by vast numbers of people coming and going from a But that, like we said, that happens every year, though, right? It happens every year. Um, well, I don't know if it happens every year. It happens a lot of times. And I, I don't know if, if there's been deaths every year. I would hmm. suspect that there probably is a handful of deaths every year on the Hajj. Okay. But never in these numbers. I mean, this is significant. There were 769 people killed in a stampede no. this year. Yep. And the, and wait, wait, wait. the majority it, this, of them... The, the, this Hajj, the five-day period that you're talking about. Right. Yes, this happened just a, a week ago, um, and and the the majority of the people that lost their lives were actually Iranian, and so it's caused a lot of controversy be- between the nation of Iran and Saudi Arabia, where Mecca is. It's clear to us that mismanagement by the executive authorities in charge of arranging the movement of pilgrims towards Jamarat has caused this bitter and catastrophic incident. Saudi officials must be held accountable. Okay, how does this work? How, how would there be a big pocket of Iranians that are... So we have to talk about Hajj in a little bit more detail. Yeah, I don't know anything about Hajj, except okay. for it's one of the pillars. So it's one of the pillars, okay. but what happens is you show up for the Hajj, and the first thing that you do is you get uh, special clothes. Um, hmm. there are two white sheets for the men okay. and, you know, it's supposed to symbolize equality. Um, it's supposed to symbolize humility, uh, sort of a unity of the community, this Arab term, the, the, the Ummah, the community of Muslims, but it, it's not necessarily what people get when they, when they go on Hajj. They don't find that to be the case. Oh, weird. But I mean, I get it. Like, like when you look at an image of Hajj, right? Or the, you know, in the Grand Friday Mosque, right? Oh, they, yeah. they all look the same. They're all sure. dressed the same. Mm-hmm. So there does seem to be like a unity. You don't know what country they're from. You don't know, you know, what kind of uh, Muslim background they have, right? Well, you, you kind of do, because after you get your sheets, then you're given your sort of assignments, your room assignments, and they are typically broken up based on nations. And Wait, so they give all you rooms? The, well, it's like a tent city, and so you live in these—I mean, because you're there for five days, and you have to understand, this is— this really is a, a feat of engineering that they fit this many people into the city of Mecca wow. in such a short space. I just figured, like, time. you know, you check in the Hilton or, you know, whatever hotel oh, is no. there. And- no way. There's not nearly enough space. And so you are literally, you are living in sort of a tent city, and the, the ways that they are split up is based on nations. And huh. so... The uh, so Algerians like the, are yeah, here. Like the Indonesian the, district. There and you the, go. The, really? And, okay, so tell me. I, I know that you have something. Well, I'm just saying that you, if there's a wonderful documentary that's put out by National Geographic about the Hajj, and on that, uh, in that documentary, they follow somebody from Malaysia, they follow somebody, uh, I want to say it was Nigeria, I can't remember offhand, and then they follow an American, um, and so they have all of these different people from different 
parts of the world going on the Hajj. And quite frankly, it's that they're rudely awakened to the idea that the Muslim community is not as unified as they were hoping. Well, here's the key. This is what brings us back to the Hajj. At the beginning of the show, I shared a little bit of a story about the takeover or the siege of Mecca, mm. or the siege of the, the mosque yeah, in I was Mecca. hoping you were going to get that. Yeah, th- this is in 1979, and what happens is these guys. Uh, there's discrepancy about the numbers, but it's over over a hundred. Could be oh. as, could be as a couple hundred radical uh, Muslims. They sneak, not really sneak into the mosque. They actually sneak their guns into the mosque. They they sneak them in caskets because you want to bring the caskets into the mosque for the prayers so that they can be buried. No, so they have caskets I'm... filled with guns because Wait, they're so coming in for the prayers. They're burying. They're not burying them. They're putting them into the caskets. They're pretending their bodies in the caskets, and they're sneaking in so why are guns. So why are these bodies coming into the mosque? Because they're going to go through the ritual prayers at the Friday service so before they So a funeral service. It's not a funeral service. It's like if in Islam, if you, if you die, you have to have the body prepared a certain way, and then they go for the prayers to... They at the mosque. Yeah, they don't have like this this funeral procession the way that we do. It's just huh. sort of like there's a prayers on Friday. They go for the prayers. And these caskets were filled with guns. Filled with guns. And they snuck, apparently, some reports, they snuck guns under their robes. Okay. And so uh, as the you know prayers are ready to begin, you have around 50,000 people. I mean, if you can imagine, this is like a, a college football stadium. Yeah, 50,000. 50,000. That's crazy. That's huge. And they hold the place hostage. And they begin killing some people. What? Um, people that are wanting to leave or, or fight against them, they're killing. And other people, they're just holding hostage. And the desire is that they would uh, rid Saudi Arabia from their control over the mosque, purify Islam, and return it to uh, the Muslim people. And there's this guy that's leading the whole thing who really does believe he is like a messianic type figure. He even calls himself the Mahdi, which is a Islamic term that refers to this messianic type figure. Wait, so like his job is to clean, um, or like a prophet, like purify, bring, uh, Islam back. Right. He wants to purify Islam and he wants to, uh, rid, Islam's connections with the West, which he believed the Saudi prince, the royal family of Saudi Arabia, had connections with the West, and, and they, and they that, that was, uh, and they did, right? Oh, sure, right, yeah, sure. And so he would, he believed that he was a reformer and was a purifier, and that he was going to uh, cleanse, well, cleanse the uh, the mosque. It's kind of like Jewish cleansing the temple. Well, there, and this is the interesting thing. There are some uh, sort of prophetic utterances going on here with the this use of the term the Mahdi because these are uh, end times type uh, prophecies. Huh. And he took some stories from the Hadith okay. and he applied them to himself. And there are stories in the Hadith that there will be a Mahdi that comes at the end of time. He will be the imam. And the, so for the Shia Muslims, they would argue that this is the um, son of Ali who disappeared. And then some would argue that, no, it's not the 12th imam, it's the 7th imam. And so Shia Islam has this more eschatological uh, end times theology than, than Sunnis do. Huh. But this guy believed that he was the returned imam that would purify Islam. He took some of the verses in the Hadith, which one uh-huh. of them was that he would flee 
from the uh, uh, armies. The armies would be swallowed up into the ground and that he would flee into the mosque for God's protection. This is at the point in the end times where Jesus is supposed to descend and be the judge for all of mankind. The uh, people are supposed to ask Jesus to lead the prayers. Jesus defers and says, no, uh, the, the Mahdi will lead the prayers. And he really? refers to this guy. So this guy believes that this is who he is. The, the 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 we gotta do a show on uh, eschatology, mu- yeah, Muslim eschatology. Or well, Islamic. I mean, we could go from here on this whole concept, but we probably need to bring in uh, Warren Larson. He's written a wonderful paper on that, that's just crazy. When you said Jesus comes back, I'm like, okay, so are we Christian now? What's going yeah, on? How here? does that work? Yeah, yeah. And then you're like the movie. No, is he when still Jesus there? Like, when huh. Jesus comes back in Islam, he does he comes back and uh, he breaks crosses. He uh, breaks kills crosses uh-huh, and he kills a, a swine, a pig. He kills a pig. He refuses to lead the prayers, defers to the Muslim guy to lead the prayers, uh, professes himself as a Muslim, and uh, then lives a normal life. I think it's about 40 years that he lives and then dies. Wait, so he comes back and lives? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, wow, my mind is blown. Okay, so what happened with this this hostage situation? So he's 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 trying to purify Islam, but what was like his end game? Because like him being, uh, you know, he couldn't stay, uh, you know, holding captive fifty thousand people for a long period of time. I think he, if he believed that he was the Mahdi, that that suddenly Jesus would probably descend and that this oh, would usher in the end times. This like is that sort moment, of an like thing. this was okay. So this is where it gets really interesting. There's probably wait, wait a lot it of, hasn't gotten interesting yet. <laughs> this is where it gets really interesting. So the full moon this year, right? The blood moon was or a the, blood moon and yeah, an eclipse, right? Right? Yeah. Can you imagine how many end times people oh, were yeah. out there that are like, oh, this is it? This oh yeah, is yeah, the yeah. Apocalypse, yeah. right? Yeah, for sure. So. You have uh, this kind of end times uh, apocalyptic, you know, movement. This guy eventually nothing happens. Jesus doesn't descend. He's not the Mahdi. And eventually they use the schematics. They come from under the ground and they take over the mosque. They kill almost a, Who, who's a bunch they? of them. The the Saudi uh, army. Yeah. And they they had all of the schematics and everything. And here's the interesting thing. This uh, this might just go down conspiracy theory with some folks, but th- you know who is got most of the schematics for the mosque because a lot of the construction of the mosque and the building of the mosque and the cleaning of the mosque is the Bin Laden family. So Bin Laden's family would have been acutely aware of this guy's sort of, you know, ideology and what he was claiming. And yeah, yeah. So the here's where, uh, like I say, it gets interesting. The Americans claim that this is a Shiite from Iran taking over the mosque. Oh, so they don't even know who this guy is, really? Uh, I mean, who knows for sure, but that's what that's what's said publicly. Well, well why would the Americans say that? Well, because the Iranians and the Saudis don't like each other already, and they're saying that this is oh, the Iranians. Think something. about 1979, what's right. going on, our yeah. embassies, and so they're Everything's saying... Everything's in the, turmoil. And... So this is what's crazy, is the Iranians uh-huh. say that the Americans took over the mosque. What? And that's the announcement that the Ayatollah Khomeini makes over the radio. And so then you have an incitement of violence all over the Muslim world against American embassies, including places like Pakistan, where Warren and Carol Larson live. And then they storm their house, set all of their things on fire. The American embassy in Pakistan is set on fire. And so you have all of this violence happening all over the Muslim world because the Americans have taken over Mecca and taken over the, the Grand Friday Mosque, according to the Ayatollah Khomeini. Crazy, right? That well, just, this is before just, Twitter and everything. Just so. the idea that the the Iranian, um, the Ayatollah had that much influence that the rest of the entire Muslim world would be like, 
oh, he must be right. Well, there's a huge movement at this point in time in history between who is, you know, the evil empire, which is being said about America, that America has taken over the Muslim world. America has been putting people into power in the Muslim world. And then you have sort of these movements where Muslims are getting rid of the American uh, overthrowing the American leadership in uh-huh. their countries. And then you have this guy who's wanting to purify Islam, who isn't a Shiite at all. He's actually a Sunni Muslim, and he's actually what some would argue very much some of the first sort of forerunners of what eventually becomes Al-Qaeda and ISIS, is that huh. he has the same theology, he has the same sort of purifying effect, going back to the pure Islam. And really it goes all the way back to the very beginnings with the first unique caliphs, the first four caliphs, you have a group called the Kartagites, and the Kartagites believed that uh, they were the first ones to kind of decide that you can say someone is not Muslim, they are not following the, the guidance of Allah, and that you can just kill them, take over, and do your own thing. The Muslim community, all of the scholars decided these guys were the dissenters. That's what the name means, like the, the ones who have exited the faith, the Kartagites. So this guy could be like a neo-Kartagite in taking over the mosque. And some would argue that ISIS today is a neo-Kartagite movement. All right, so this show wouldn't be possible without sponsors. And at this point in the show is where if you want to partner with us, we would put your ad. So if you want to be a part of the show, you, you want like, to partner with us. You like what we're doing. You want to be on our team, what have you. Bring this show to the world. Then email us and let us know. So how does all this relate to the the Hodge today? Yeah, um, basically bring it home with the. <laughs> it's all it, it's like a Tarantino film or something. It's right, all going to make go sense backwards. here in a second. It's all going to make sense here in a second. The um, the most current tragedy with this uh, over seven hundred people being trampled to death. Uh, the vast majority of them, or at least the majority, are, are Iranian citizens, right. like I mentioned earlier. And so Iran is really upset, and they're calling for uh, Saudi Arabia to be held responsible because of not having properly prepared for um, that many people for the Hajj. Oh, I get and it. And this has been debated. So it's like negligence kind of thing. Negligence, but not only that. Imagine that you have the holiest site in a religion that you have one point seven billion people in right nobody wants to allow one country to have that sort of control or power oh that it should be kind of like annexed as kind of like rome like becoming its own city vatican yeah great example yeah i can see that being what they're really calling for is that it becomes its own city on out from under the control of the of italy saudi family (laughs) Now, here's the interesting thing. For me, I think if I'm a Saudi citizen, I would be like, no. Why? The keys of the Kaaba have always passed within one family. This is, you know, now the... It's a heritage thing. Yeah, this is a heritage. You know, but if I'm not a Saudi citizen, I'm thinking, hey, there is no division within Islam. This should belong to all of us. You can see how the argument would go. So so you're basically saying that this isn't going to happen anytime soon with this arguing. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. There's Mm. a lot of money to be involved. There's a lot of uh, power there. Um, There's end times theologies involved. Wow, what a mess. Yeah, think of it along the same lines as the Temple Mount as far as Christians are concerned. Uh I mean, that's not something that is... uh, you know, just easily decided, hey, you know, anybody can have this. It's, oh, yeah. it's not a big deal. Right. I mean, that's a big deal. That's a 
interesting part to me. But I think there's huge Christian implications of the Hajj, too, that we often forget. Please. Um, for instance, the things that they do during Hajj. Um, first of all, the Kaaba, they have to go, they get on their, their clothes, right. the, the white things. They go, they circumambulate the Kaaba, um, and then they go out eventually, and they reenact the uh, search for water of Hagar, going back and forth between the two mountains. Oh, yeah, water. but that's outside of the mosque. Well, it's actually connected. It's like this underground, it's like this city that's covered and the whole, it's almost like a hippodrome where you have this kind of lap thing that they do and it is uh, covered. And so the whole, I, really, I would love to go. Can I we go? They, no, you can't. You're not Muslim, so you can't go. We're can't not go allowed to go? No, no, you can't go. Not, you we, can't, to Islam, you, we can't even see it. Like National Geographic, how did that guy do that? I don't know. He must have been Muslim, I guess. Oh. Yeah, we could watch that and watch it. That's just not the same. I want to see this thing. Okay. So uh, they, they reenact that. They stop. But they you're rest. talking about millions of people doing this at the same time. I'm sure there's like, uh, I, I don't know, but I would imagine there's like times like, the, you know, the people from this area do it at this time. Yeah, but it's not like 10 people. It's like thousands of people thousands at one. Thousands of people. Oh, that is insane. Yeah. And so when you're saying 700 people are trampled. Yeah, you can see how that would be possible. So it's not just like one moment it's like throughout the five days just in danger people are in danger constantly you trip and there's nothing you can do well there's one place where i think they're probably the most danger and there tends to be problems every year it is not when they're doing that area right there after they between the two after they do that they stop they rest they drink from the well of zamzam which is the well that god the angel of the lord provided for hagar there in the desert the same well that's what they say Ooh. And uh, they, you know, people are collecting water, bringing it back. Um, really? So lines and lines at this well? Yeah. I, I don't even know what the well looks like. I know. I was just saying, are they drawing it from a no, pail no or is idea. it a spigot? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. It is the 21st century. I we got to go and find is, some pictures. This is crazy. So from there, they go out into uh, the plain of Arafat, and that's where there's this sort of hill where they believe Muhammad gave his sort of farewell speech. And they sit out in the desert sun all day praying and praying and praying exhausting themselves and then when they move from that place to the next place is where the trampling tends to happen because people are stumbling from exhaustion people are you know they want to get inside they're they're trying to move as quickly as possible and that's where chaos breaks out and people are trampled wow um it happens every year um i shouldn't say every i don't know that it happens every year it happens a lot so they don't want to cover the that field no, they don't. They have some tents set up out there. Some people bring their own tents, but most people want that experience, that sort of in the sun, you know, baking and kind of pouring out their hearts as part of their their experience of the Hajj. I can still I can see how how beautiful this whole thing would be um, without all of the the craziness. I think you know. Oh, just the unity that you would feel being a part of something that right, so many, like, and thousands then, of people are doing. Right. Like I don't know if Christians really have that much. You know, that, that sort of that point, like you know, that that one thing, like you know, they have the Hajj, they go to Mecca, they they do that whole thing. We got Christmas, man. We even have people that aren't <laughs> Christian celebrating. Man. It's like, <laughs> but like you know, I think about like people going to the Holy City. I used to have a lot of disdain for people that wanted to go to Jerusalem, Israel. You know, like you know, visit totally. the Holy Land. Mm-hmm. And I used to think, oh, that's so like they're, they're um, using it to make money. You know, like I just I hated it that idea. Um, but then the older I get, now you want to go. I want to go, man. I want to see, and I know, and I know that the things probably aren't the same. You know, like these are the uh, places where Jesus walked exactly. You know, like in the, this is where he prayed. This is where you know, like 
you know, they make these little monument things. And, but at the same time, it's kind of like, wow, just to be able to walk around, it must be very humbling. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of, you know, impose my feelings onto the Muslims that go to, to Hajj, and it must be a really powerful thing for them. Yeah, from the from what I've heard, very powerful, very yeah. powerful. So, on their way back, um, they're heading to another area, another plane. On their way back, they throw stones at the devil. Um, what? There's these areas where they symbolize sort of uh, Abraham overcoming the temptation not to sacrifice his son. And this is where I think there's witness implication and there's overlap here that really Christians should be building some bridges from. And then from there, the end, sort of the culmination of the Hajj is the sacrifice of Eid. And it's called the Korbani. It's the, uh, the, the great sacrifice, remembering that when Abraham was commanded to sacrifice his son, that God provided a momentous Sacrifice and ransomed him from having to do it. That's really cool. In in uh, what you were just saying, that uh, like you know, there's there's uh, there's opportunities there to cross over and to be able to uh, speak the gospel. You know, what better bridge would you want than people sacrificing animals, shedding blood, killing it in the halal fashion, which is saying a prayer over the animal, grabbing right. the jugular vein, cutting it, bleeding the animal out, the blood. It totally drains from the animal and remembering um, right there that that there is a sacrifice that is once for all and that we have a Passover lamb that was holy and blameless. And uh, I think there's an incredible bridge there. I mean, how much more meaningful is the John the Baptist, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, which Muslims have in the Quran, the testimony of John the Baptist. He's called Yahya. So you have huh. John the Baptist in the Quran, you have Jesus in the Quran, you have the sacrifice of uh, Abraham's uh, son there in the in the provision of a momentous sacrifice in his behalf, and then you have 1.7 billion Muslims all over the world remembering and commemorating that day when God provided a lamb or a ram in his in his place. Wow. That's really cool. Well, I think we're going to end it right there unless you wanted to I had some more. We, we've covered a lot today. <laughs> yeah. We're just supposed to talk about the Hajj. And no, we was... just went like huge circles around a lot, a lot of these things. 